Well, good evening, gentlemen. Um, good evening, good evening. It's a, uh, it's a pleasure to uh, just kind of start tonight off with um, introducing our speaker. Just uh, for those of you who have never been to Sacred Heart, welcome. Um, if you are looking for maybe the facilities as you came in through the narthex, um, the room that we kind of walk in, uh, we have restrooms on either side if you just go back there. Um, our lineup tonight is uh, we'll have um, a speaker for about uh, 45 minutes to an hour. Then we'll have some Eucharistic adoration with some praise and worship music with some, some moments of silence. Um, we'll give some instruction for that before. And then afterwards tonight, we have a little social planned if you do have time just to stay around. We have some adult beverages um, and just, just an opportunity to be together as brothers. So I'm looking forward to tonight. I know um, many of you have been praying for tonight. And just as a intro to welcome our speaker, um, Mr. Robert Halpin, you may have met him um, here t before tonight. Um, he's our mission integrator in our parish. Uh, wonderful man. Um, you may not have known this about him. He's a former youth minister um, for over 30 years, and uh, he worked at the National Life Teen Office as a state rep for Louisiana. Um, and he set up, um, primarily setting up life teen camps around the country, and Cove Crest is really dear to his heart out in Georgia. Um, Robert has been a, a good friend, and he's been a, a great asset to our community and our parish, really um, helping integrate the mission uh, that we have here, Encountering Jesus, Becoming Missionary Disciples in all aspects. Um, he's a servant of God. He's a man of God, and uh, he has been praying a lot to hear what the Holy Spirit wants to maybe offer us tonight as a message. So uh, without further ado, Mr. Robert Halfin. Okay, is this on? Can everybody hear me? Everything's good. Um, so I, I've, I've spoke before, I've done stuff with Life Team. It's been a while since someone asked me to speak for like an hour, so I'll try not to speak quite an hour, give you guys a break. Um, but this morning in the office, Sister Claudia came in and she made my job a lot easier because she told me, she said, look, if you can do half as good as it was last night, it would be great. So I said, that's good, you just lowered the bar. So I only have to do half as good as last night and had to have half the people and it's probably about where we are. So, so we're all good, we're on the right track. So if I give you a half type speech, yeah, you know why, because that's what I was told, it's all I have to do. Um, so we did decide this, this time to do men's nights and women's nights, and there's a good reason. Um, Men and women are different. I assume a lot of you probably here are married, you know that. But um, I, was, I was looking up some stuff and it said that women on average speak 20,000 words a day. Men on average speak 7,000 words a day. So by the time you get home from work, you have used up all your words and your wife is just getting started. Okay, so, so if you wondered about that, that that's just, how God created us. But one of the things we have to remember is that, you know, our wives compliment us. Where in, in our weaknesses or the things we weren't as good at, they are better. Like after 37 years of marriage, I don't know how I would pull into a parking lot and know where to park if my wife weren't in the car. 
Okay, so men and women are different. And so tonight I'm going to be speaking to you as men of God and, and how our brains work and what we're called to do as men as opposed to what they heard yesterday as women. I was told that I could be as good as her if I had this gory birthing story, but I haven't given birth, so I have no gory stories, so you just have to go with what God put on my heart to speak. One of the biggest things, uh, it's about spiritual fatherhood. And that image up there is Rembrandt's prodigal son. I know it may not be that clear to see, but that painting has had a profound influence on at least the second half of my life. And as you see the father embracing the younger son as he returns, and you see the elder son off to the side just kind of glaring into it, um, the, the painting speaks volumes. And there's a book called Return of the Prodigal Son by Henry Nouwen. Um, you don't have to write that down because guys don't bring papers like women do. But I'll have a, a handout at the end that'll have the name. That book is amazing. It, it like changed my life and I'll talk about that later. Um, tonight is not just for biological fathers because it's about spiritual fatherhood, which we're all called to love like the father does. So, so I wanted to start with just some context. So our popes, Oh, that ain't right. It should be on my, uh, right. let's see, we're going to get it right. Oh, St. Cecilia, I can do a plug for them. Buy a brick. If you haven't bought a brick yet, okay, there are bricks for sale. We're raising money for the one heart. We got to pay for that building back there. 250 a brick. It's a steal, okay? Buy one for you, for each of your grandchildren, your children. It's a steal. One man told me we should be saying 250 a brick, four brick minimum. So, you know, whatever it takes. Okay, we're back. Um, I told somebody earlier, I said, if something doesn't go wrong, it's not right. I mean, something has to not go right. I'm going to leave this cap off because my wife told me that I usually take it on and off, and she said, I don't like that. So listening to my wife, I'll probably knock the water over. That's why I have two bottles. Um, anyway, listening to what our popes have said about uh, this topic of spiritual fatherhood, John Paul II said, the effects of original sin attempts to abolish fatherhood. Spiritual fathers are to reveal and radiate God's fatherhood. They make God visible. One of the things I've read over and over is that many, many times people, the image they have of God the Father is based on the image of their own earthly father, which if, if their father is absent in their lives, they, they view God as absent. If their father is very stern and demanding, they view God as a very stern and demanding you know, God. If they had a very loving father, caring father, they, they view God as loving and caring. So, um, so when we, we look at this and we enter into this, we have to know that the love we're trying to emulate is God's love and, and not the God of our earthly father, I mean, not the love of our earthly father. Um, but it's amazing that we try, that, you know, original sin is trying to abolish fatherhood because they know what it does to our young people, to us, you know, as we grow up. Um, Pope Benedict, I'm going to go through the three, three last popes because they each talked about it. He said the crisis of fatherhood that we are experiencing today is a basic aspect of the crisis that threatens mankind as a whole. He talks about how the fatherhood we have in this world threatens. It's a war. We are in a war against Christian culture. 
And the world keeps telling us, hey, this is, you know, you don't need fathers. I mean, mothers can do it all, but there's nothing to replace the love of a father in a child's life. So we have a war going on. Pope Francis said, there is great urgency in this historical moment for meaningful relationships that we could define as spiritual fatherhood. So he talks about meaningful relationships. Pope Francis is saying, we have to be intentional in our relationship with our young people. Our own kids, our nieces, our nephews, our grandkids, we have to be intentional. A meaningful relationship is not one that, I, I went out to eat one time and there was a dad having dinner with his younger son. His son was probably 10. And the dad was on the phone and the son was on the iPad and he talked the entire time. And toward the end of his conversation, took everything I had to remain in my seat. He said, I'm having dinner with my son. I wanted to go, you have not even talked or looked at your son. How can you, how, how can you tell this person that you're having dinner with your son? You know, so our, our relationships with our young people in our lives has to be intentional. We have to go there because we want to know them and we want them to know us and we want to lead them to God. In Jesus' time, they also had a need for spiritual fathers. St. Paul said in Corinthians, I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So even in Jesus' time, they knew that there was a need for spiritual fatherhood. Um, and G.K. Chesterton, a Christian writer, said, God chooses ordinary men for fatherhood to accomplish his extraordinary plan. So what I'm telling you here today is that God has chosen you for fatherhood, whether it's biological fatherhood, whether it's spiritual fatherhood. He has chosen you, and he's called you to be here tonight to know that he has an extraordinary plan that you are a very big part of. Whoops, I'm not used to wearing one of these Britney Spears mics, so it's rattling. Um, I want to go ahead and invite the band up, uh, maybe um, while they're coming up. I just want to share a few statistics with you, just to show you how important this is. Right now in our country, one in four children live in a home without a father present. Children without fathers are 10 times more likely to abuse chemical substances. 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. That's five times the national average. 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. It's nine times the average. So we see the effect that a lack of fatherhood in the, in the relationships we have, what it does to the young people as they're growing up, what it may have done to us growing up. So what we're going to talk about tonight is how do we replace that imperfect love with the love of the Father God. So as we get all these calls from the popes, we get uh, the sobering statistics we just heard, I just want to enter into prayer tonight as we start. So I've asked the, the band just to lead us in worship. And um, so please join in, sing. It's, it's, it's not a spectator sport, okay? It's okay. If you have a really bad voice, God will think twice before he gives it to somebody else. So just go ahead and sing, it's okay. I'll go ahead and stand and we can enter into the night in prayer through praise and worship and song. Sing this together. Bless the Lord. 
dear Lord, we just ask that you send your spirit upon our hearts, that I might speak your word and not mine, and that these men of God may hear your word and what it is you're calling them to this Lent. We just thank you and we praise you. Amen. Okay, go ahead and have a seat if you aren't already doing that. Um, so a little bit of a, the story of how I got to spiritual fatherhood. A little bit about me. Um, I'm the mission integrator here at Sacred Heart. My job as mission integrator is to keep Father Michael out of the weeds, okay? Um, it, and if he stays out of the weeds, he can be a pastor and we can take care of the weeds. And so that's kind of like removing obstacles to accomplish our mission, which is encountering Jesus and becoming missionary disciples. Um, I have been married for 37 years to my beautiful bride, Christine. We have no biological children. So again, when I say that you don't have to have biological children to be a spiritual father, I've lived that my entire life. Um, we prayed for children, we wanted children, we didn't have children um, in God's plan. And um, it's a journey. And if any of you here experience that or are experiencing that in your life, just know that men and women will react to that differently. As a man, um, I heard there was an x-ray of a man's brain and there was a whole bunch of little boxes in it. And None of the boxes touch, okay? They're very carefully placed. And when a man needs to deal with this box, he pulls it out, he deals with it, and very carefully slides it back in. A woman's brain is, oh my gosh, this is being recorded, but it's all kind of wires, all connected, okay? Everything connects. But, but in the process of infertility or not having your own biological children, I can tell you that a woman deals with it physically every month, and it's a lot harder on them. So... Um, not having biological children didn't mean that God didn't call Christina and I to parenthood. And I think that's where my life has gone from there. So I was a youth minister in New Iberia, like he said, for over 30 years. And I was also in a young adult ministry at Sacred Heart, but also with Life Teen at Covecrest. I helped them train their full-time missionaries. And so that's how, if you saw in my bio in the, in the thing, when people ask us how many kids we have, we just say 300. And, and honestly, it's probably more than that. So at Christmas time, when we do a collection tonight, if you could put a little extra, because it gets very expensive. 300 kids are not easy. Um, no, I always tell them, I will love you, I will be there for you, but I'm not giving you an allowance. Um, so, The movement of my heart, though, towards spiritual fatherhood happened. I was director of Life Team at Sacred Heart, and I was also a financial controller for an oilfield company. So, you know, I, did a, I was very busy, so we had to hire a youth minister. And when we hired that youth minister, I was about 40, he was about 20, and all of a sudden, I lost the identity of, hey, the kids want to hang out with me. They wanted to hang out with the young, cool guy. You know, and I'm like, that's tough because I was always, that was my identity. I was a youth minister. Hey, the kids like to hang out with Mr. Robert. By the way, my name is Mr. Robert to them. If they ever ask you, my first name is Mr. My last name is Robert. They don't even know my last name, okay? So whenever I, I hear somebody out in public going, hey, Mr. Robert, or hey, Mr. Rob, I know that they were one of my kids. Um, but anyway, 
So when I was going through that, God led me to the book, Return of the Prodigal Son. And I mean, it just rocked my world. I was in my early 40s and coming to these limitations. And that what happens to us as men, you know, we're going, we're going, we're achieving, we're accomplishing. And all of a sudden we realize that we have limits. And so um, the book made me realize that these kids didn't need another friend. But it brought me through the younger son, the older son, which we all kind of have parts of in our lives. But I was called to give the love of the father. And when that, when that switch flipped, I began to have relationships with young people in a whole new way. And being there and, and being, filling a need for so many of them that did not have fathers at home or did not have spiritual fathers at home um, was huge for me. And it led to Christine and I taking in a young man. He was 16. He had drug problems. He had family problems. We'll call him Stephen because that was his name. Um, and the, the kind of interesting thing was we were married 16 years and had been praying for a child and praying for a child and praying to get pregnant and all that stuff. And God was preparing our hearts and our lives to receive Stephen 16 years later. So when we started praying, God had a plan. Wasn't our plan, wasn't the one we thought we'd have, but it was his plan. So I used to always tell Stephen though, because he, wa he wasn't an easy child, let's just say that. Um, that in the few years he lived with us, we spent a lifetime raising a child. Okay, I'm like saying you're sleeping in the middle of the night and somebody's throwing a chair through a window in your house because they're trying to get at him and it's drug people, whatever, you know, like totally unexpected in what our intention was. So if God had not prepared us through youth ministry for all those years and, and coming to understand young people and loving them, we could have never taken Stephen in, I don't think. Um, and a result of that, though, is that we have three beautiful grandchildren, twin boys, and a, and a granddaughter. And the boys, the funny thing was when we used to pray for children, Christine always prayed for twins. So again, God said, it's my plan, not yours, but I'm going to give you twins. So we had two boys. And let me tell you, one was Mama's boy and one was Papa's boy. So if we walked in their house and Mama's boy was coming and he was coming right at me, he would make a round me to get to Mama. But I didn't feel bad because if she was going first and Papa's little boy was coming, he did the same thing. So, so we each had one, we'd say. Um, but more about that story later as we go. Tonight, we're going to look at spiritual fatherhood. How do we receive it? How do we learn about God's love for us? And how do we live it? How do we live into the call to spiritual fatherhood? So I was on a, a silent retreat a few weeks ago. And as all prepared to focus on fatherhood spirituality, because I knew I was giving this talk, you know, I have this tendency, I don't know, maybe this doesn't apply to you, but I have this tendency when I'm going to go and pray with God that I go there telling him what he needs to tell me. You know, like I go in with the whole thing laid out and the very first night, you know, I went to prayer in the chapel and he made it as clear as day that before you can be a father, you have to be a son. He said, so my intention for you these next few days is to love you like the beloved son that you are. And that's what you need to hear before you can tell anyone about what it means to be a father. You have to allow me to love you. So I had to let go and let God's plan be the right plan and let God love me. I had to enter into the embrace myself. 
when I talk to young people about this, this whole concept or this, this, uh, this topic, it's always about the embrace of that man, that, that God's hands is around him. And that's what intrigued me so much about that painting. The painting is in the Hermitage in um, St. Petersburg, Russia. I traveled to St. Petersburg, Russia just to see that painting. Walked up the stairs, turned and walked into this room and the actual painting is six foot wide by eight foot tall next to a window with light. And it absolutely took my breath away. Because the first thing you notice that you don't see in these replicas is that the father is painted blind. Like he doesn't see that his son is full of rags and, and all, all he does is he embraces him because he's so glad that his son is home. So, so that painting has just been huge in our life. So I had to allow God to embrace me on the week and remind me that he loved me as a son of his. So the first step in receiving the embrace is to take the posture of a child. We are called sometimes in our prayer life just to take the posture of a child, to allow God to love us. What do children do? They listen. You know, they look up at you. They're listening. They're, they're learning from you. They're leaning in. You know, I love to watch kids at mass, you know, and, and the dad stands up and they stand in the pew. Sorry, Father, they're not supposed to stand in the pew, but it's okay. And they kind of lean on their dad. It's just so beautiful how we lean in, just like we lean into the embrace of God. Um, that they're being held. Uh, you, you watch a kid on the, go, on the way to communion and the dad picks them up and their face just lights up. Like, I mean, that, that's what God wants us to do. That's how he loves us. And they rely on their father. So how do we enter into that posture? We enter in as a posture of a child. And it's not always easy. Receiving that embrace is not always easy. When I went to Covecrest one time and the, the, the missionaries happened to be studying Return of the Prodigal Son, God doesn't allow things to slip. I happened to show up and they were going to be talking about the father's love and Chris Benzinger, who ran the camp, he said, hey, why don't you talk to him about it? Sure. I mean, any chance to talk about the father's love. So I gave this talk and I said, when I finished, I said, I want you to each come up and I want to give you an embrace. And then I want you to go off and, and reflect on that embrace. But how, what does it mean for you? What's going on in your heart when you receive that embrace? And so they all did, you know, everybody said, he told me to do it, except one girl. She didn't get up. She didn't come get the embrace. So when the whole thing was finished, I went over to her and I said, you know, hey, you know, I noticed you didn't, you didn't come up. And I said, I'm totally okay with that. But I said, she was from the Netherlands. And I said, was it cultural? You know, was it something else? And she said both. She said, when my father brought me to the airport to leave for eight months, he shook my hand. And she said, I've been in a relationship with a guy for a year. And although I participated, I felt like I've been raped every day for a year. And so she couldn't accept an embrace. We don't know people's lives. We don't know what they're going through. You know, so we spent the next week that I was there just, just talking. And, and I just loved her like a father should. And... To this day, as a matter of fact, she texted me this morning because she knew I was giving this talk. I don't talk about people unless I ask her permission. She knew I was giving this talk and she said, you know, I'm praying for you. You know, just, just give them what they need. And so that embrace sometimes that we so much desire, we all desire it and she loves it now. When she sees me, it's like, okay, I can't wait to hug you. It's kind of a joke, but like we all desire it. But for all of us, it's not always easy to accept it. So, um, so anyway, as we talk about receiving the Father's love, for perspective, 
I asked a couple of young men that I've journeyed with since they were in life teens, so they're, they're like 40 years old now or close to it, to tell me or to write to me just, hey, what has our relationship meant to you? And one of them wrote, having a non-existent relationship with your biological father affects every aspect of your life. It's that person that you need to meet up with more often than you do, so you treasure those two-hour lunches a few times a year. I don't know where I would be in my life without the man that took a chance on a troubled teen so many years ago. And the other young man wrote, for me, having that influence kept me from drifting too far away. Many times I've, I've got caught up in the ways of this world, but there was never a moment that I've forgotten my way back home. You've inspired me in so many ways to be the man of God I'm working so hard to become. That's the effect of two people that had no relationship with their fathers. But yet if we in our lives are open to being the father to them or just being a loving father to people we come in contact with, that's what it can do. So how do you receive? Uh, How do you receive the spiritual fatherhood? Well, for the youth, and I don't know how many youth are in here, but you you have to look for a spiritual father you can trust. It may be your own dad, or it may be, you know, some other person in your life that you trust that will lead you in your relationship to God. The thing that you have to be careful of is that they are not leading you to themselves. The relationship you have with them leads you to God. If they're only there to lead you into a relationship with them, you look for another spiritual father. Paul George once said, it's sad if we mentor our youth and they leave only knowing us. I mean, it's so critical in our relationships, our intentional relationships with these young people that we we introduce them to God. And as we go through this talk, you know, I just encourage you to listen to God and, and what is he putting on your heart? Is it a person? Is it a person that maybe can help you in your relationship with God the Father? Is it a person that maybe is in your life, a younger person that you know needs you to be that relationship with them, to lead them to Christ. For older people, I would include myself in the older generation, um, we look for spiritual fathers who are ahead of us. What I mean by that is you don't pick someone to be your spiritual father that, this is not a judgment scale, but you don't pick someone that's maybe behind you in their spiritual life. You want someone that you look to and say, man, that person can challenge me. That person can love me into a better relationship with God. Some of the ways you might do that is through spiritual conversations. We have small groups here at Sacred Heart. It's a wonderful way for men to get together and to challenge each other to experience God's love through each other. It might be through a spiritual director. You know, you might seek out a spiritual director. I think we have lists of them in the office, but but, I mean, they're certified spiritual directors that will ask you the tough questions. Now, if ever you get a spiritual director, spiritual directors are supposed to help you in your conversation with God. So if they give you all the answers, find another spiritual director. If they give you the right questions, you have the best spiritual director in the world. Um, Silent retreats. For me, I I have to get away. I have to be silent. Ways that I personally have received 
you know, uh, the, the spiritual fatherhood. I'm an introvert. The only way I'm up here doing this and I do it, what I do every day here at Sacred Heart is I know there is a God, okay, because I will be physically exhausted, not only from giving this talk, but for spending time with people I don't know. Uh, I'm an introvert. That's how God made me. And it's amazing how many introverts he calls into ministry, I guess, because he says, well, you can't do it on your own. You're going to have to rely on me. Um, but throughout my life, there have been priests, some of them authors that have written the right things, like, like Henry Nouwen. There have been a relationship with many priests. Father Mark Toops and I were really good friends when he first became a priest. And um, he's, he's a wonderful spiritual director. He asks you all the right questions. He looks you right between the eyes. He goes, but do you think maybe it's this? And you're like, dang. Are you reading my soul or what? Um, my relationship with Father Michael, we have, we have many good conversations as a spiritual father to our parish. Like he, he, he challenges us to, to look beyond where we are. Um, I've done silent retreats. I've done spiritual direction at times. And, and those are the ways that I have entered into receiving, you know, spiritual fatherhood. Um, so how do we learn spiritual fatherhood? Well, we're going we're gonna to use scripture to do that. We're going to look at the scripture. Oh my gosh, I didn't change that. We're going to look at the scripture from the return of the prodigal son. And we're going to start off with the, the younger son. So I'm going to give you the synopsis, the cliff notes, for those of you who are old enough to know what that is. Um, he asks for inheritance. He gets it. He goes out and squanders it. He returns. He's embraced, and they throw a party. Okay, so that's the beginning of that scripture. It's much longer than that. I bet at Mass you would love when you see that big, long scripture. Man, could the priest just give us the cliff notes? Because we've heard it so many times. But do we ever really think about it? So what do we learn from the younger son? These are quotes from Henry Nouwen's book. And I have a copy of all these for you to take when you leave, just to pray through for the rest of Lent. But he said... Why should I leave a place where all I needed to hear could be heard? I realize that the true voice of love is a very soft and gentle voice speaking to me in the most hidden places of my being. You know, when Elijah was out there and the hurricane passes, God's not there. When the earthquake happens, God's not there. When the fire happens, God's not there. And all of a sudden there's a gentle breeze and a soft voice and God is there. The problem we have with that is that the world's voices are very loud. And they are telling you all the things that God is not telling you. You have to earn my love. You know, you, you can't be doing all that sin. God can't love you like that. And the, the world is full of loud voices. So sometimes we have to find in quiet a way to hear the voice of God. So... Henry Nouwen convicted me on this one because I'm like, well, I, I can relate to the younger son, but I haven't left home, you know. I go to church every week. I do everything I'm supposed to do. You know, me and God, we tight. And then he says this. Anger, resentment, jealousy, desire for revenge, lust, greed, antagonisms, and rivalries are the obvious signs that I have left home. He's telling me when I, when I enter into sin, I have left home. And, and it kind of goes along with Father Michael and, and their, their preaching series this time. You know, it's about we say yes to God, but we also have to say no to the other things. So the younger son teaches us as we look at him that, that that's not what the Father desires for us. 
And lastly, from the younger son, it says, I am loved so much that I am left free to leave home, but the father is always looking for me with outstretched arms to receive me back. It's a theme that I tell parents. It's a theme that I tell young people all the time. God will always pursue you. No matter where you are, what you're doing, God will pursue you. When he sees you're leaving home, he's going to call you back. It's going to be through a person, through something that happens to you, but he's always going to pursue you. So the older son, okay, here comes the synopsis. The older son sees there's a party going on. He gets mad, and the father invites him too into the embrace. That's the older son. So Nowen talks about, he says, it is clear that the hardest conversion to go through is the conversion of the one who stayed home. When confronted with his father's joy at the return of his younger brother, there becomes glaringly visible a resentful, proud, unkind, selfish person. Now, here's the guy that did everything right. Hey, I stayed around. But he could not accept the joy that came with his brother coming home. And so couldn't accept his father's embrace. Richard Rohr, another one, he's a Franciscan priest, had a big impact in my 30s. You know, I have like, I have a priest every, every decade of my life. John Powell was in my 20s, Richard Rohr in my 30s, Henry Nowen in my 40s, Jacques Philippe in my 50s, 60s. I haven't found the one that's going to get me yet. But anyway, he, um, he talked about the, the two halves of spiritual life. And he said, for men, the first half of your life, and this is very natural, is about ascent. We accomplish, we, we do things, we, we build our family, we build our home, we build our job, we build our resume. That's the first half of our life. But he says the second half of our life, if we want to truly live a spiritual life, it's about descent. It's about letting go. But in that first half, we find ourselves where, where the older brother is. We find ourselves comparing ourselves to our friends. Why did that person get the, the promotion and not me? Why does that person have, you know, a bigger house than I do? Why does, you know, whatever. And, and we compare on that, that, that journey up. But at some point, we're going to hit some kind of limitation that hopefully allows us to start letting go of those and to, and to receive joy. And I went through it. I went through it with the younger youth minister. You know, like there was resentment. Like, why is he, you know. But at some point, I have to get to a point where I find joy because God loves him and has blessed him in certain ways. He doesn't love me any less. You know, so that, 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 you have to flip that switch again and say, you know, just because they're doing good doesn't mean I'm not. Heck, I got my identity. I'm a child of God. What more do I need? So, um, and then we're going to look at the father, who, who we know just, in, just invited his, his young sons into the embrace. And so I want you to listen carefully to this. Oh, I pressed the wrong button. See, there you go. We'll go this way. Okay. Here is a God I want to believe in, Nowen says. A father who from the beginning of creation has stretched out his arms in merciful blessing, never forcing himself on anyone, but always waiting. Never letting his arms drop down in despair, but always hoping that his children will return so that he can speak words of love to them and let his tired arms rest on their shoulders. What a beautiful image of God. 
beautiful image of God, and that's how he does with us. He just waits. He waits till we turn, and he's just sitting there with open arms. And his arm, okay, if I asked you all for the next 10 minutes to hold your arms up, they would get very tired. God will wait your whole life with his arms up just for you to enter that embrace. More about the Father, he says, this is the great mystery of our faith. We do not choose God, God chooses us. Now I realize that the real sin is to deny God's first love for me, to ignore my original goodness. You are a child of God, nothing more, nothing less. All the dark voices of the world cannot change the fact that God loves you and that you are his beloved son. So we have to believe that deep in our hearts as God embraces us. change okay the last one about the father says true fatherhood is sharing in the poverty of God's non-demanding love whether you are the younger son or the elder son you have to realize that you are called to become the father there's something about that word poverty that just pierces my heart You know, when you think that God, a true fatherhood, what he's asking of us is sharing in the poverty of a non-demanding love. How do we love other people? How do we love these young people God puts in our life? How do we embrace them with no demands? There is a poverty there. And we give from that place of poverty. So as we're going through this, like, who is God putting on your heart? I mean, is there someone in your life that you just know needs that embrace or needs to be invited into the embrace? You know, you have to listen to when God puts someone in your heart that's in your family, in your neighborhood, in, in you know, your nieces, your nephews, your, your grandchildren. Like, who, who does he want you just to invite into a relationship with him? So how do we live it? We're, we're called to give the Father's love, and there are two rules. Okay, the only thing you got to remember about all, all you got to remember tonight is these two rules. Two rules of loving people. Number one, there is a God. Number two, it is not you. Takes all the pressure off. I'm not God. I am called to lead this young person. I can't save him or her. I'm called to lead this person to the one who can save him or her. Takes a lot of pressure off. I used to tell this to youth ministers all the time. Youth ministers used to, and I don't keep up with it, but they had a a life expectancy in youth ministry of 18 months because they went out there and thought they had to save every kid. I was giving a talk to to this group of youth ministers once, and this girl goes, well, you know, she says, "I, I just can't turn my phone off at night because what if one of those kids have a problem? And, and in front of everybody else, I know I couldn't re- replace it into my mouth. I said, they don't have a problem. You do. Like, you're not God. If they're coming to you every time they have a problem, you're not teaching them about the one who can solve their problems. So the two rules we have to remember and take all the pressure off when we are in this father relationship is that God's going to take care of them. We're called to invite them into that embrace. So... I asked the the two young men that we talked about earlier what it looked like to receive 
spiritual fatherhood? Like, what did it look like to receive it to them? One of them said, a man who loves and cares, mentors, guides, anchors. He never judges. He never pushes. Talking about poverty here. He imitates Jesus in the best possible way he can. Mr. Rob, you've always done your best to lead me to the cross. I didn't write these for him, by the way. They wrote them. And when I wouldn't listen, you prayed and put your trust in God and in his timing. I always share with everyone the impact that our relationship has had on my life. I explained how you saved my life many times over. Waiting, just like the Father did. We wait. We invite and we wait. The other young man said, even when you screw up, you can tell them because you know it will hurt them, but they ultimately still love you, just like Jesus loves us when we stumble. What he's saying there is when you're going to love someone as a spiritual father, it's not about you. They're going to come to you with their pain. They're going to come to you with that. It's not about you. Then he said, my spiritual pops has guided me in so many ways, picked me up when I've fallen, prayed over me, and gotten me through the darkest of times. We have to pray with our, our young people. We have to pray with our, our kids, with our and they don't have to be young. Your kids, you know, some of you, I see a little gray out here. Your kids may be older, okay? But you gotta pray with them. You gotta pray with your grandkids. When our grandkids come over, when they were little, growing up, we went through the Bible in a year, not a Bible in a year, but the Bible timeline by Jeff Cavins, but they make one for kids. So if you have grandkids, go out and buy it, especially if they're young. And every time they'd come to our house at, the, at night, we'd say our prayers and we'd read one of the Bible stories. And being the good youth minister that I was, I would tell them, now listen, because I'm going to ask you what you heard and what did God speak to your heart while we were reading this. I mean, they're eight years old looking at me like, Papa, you've lost your mind. But they did it. And you'd be amazed at what they said that they heard about God's love. So by the time we got through the whole Bible, you know, they really had an understanding of what God's love was about. Praying with people. You know, it's not always easy. When I was a youth minister one time, I was at Lowe's, and one of my core members called me, and they said, look, I need some prayer. I said, well, I'm at Lowe's. I'll call you. No, no, I really need some prayer right now. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. So I walked into an aisle at Lowe's where nobody was at the time, and I just closed my eyes on the phone, and I just started praying with this person. God knows some people came and said, this guy meant to go to the Lowe's that closed, and they have a revolving cross in front of it now, you know, that, that turned into a church because he's praying for people in the middle of the aisle. Oh, we have to be willing to do that. I mean, God calls us to be bold, to be willing to step out of our comfort zone. So what I'd like to share with you now is some of the gifts you receive from entering into spiritual fatherhood. One of the processes I always go through when I give a talk is before I give it, I go to the chapel and I read it to God. He laughs, he changes it, and then we, we go on. Well, so Sunday afternoon, my wife and I went to the Adoration Chapel, and I read through my talk, and I had on here, um, I had on here challenges from spirit for, to spiritual fatherhood, and he said, what are you talking about? Challenges? He said, those are gifts. Those are gifts. If you have experienced my embrace, you know that these are gifts. So I said, okay, God, you win. So these are the gifts that come from spiritual fatherhood. Afflictions and pain. 
I told you about Stephen. Ten years ago, we got a call in the middle of the night that Stephen had been shot and killed. And he was 27 years old. And my wife and I stopped in the middle of the night and we just prayed the Divine Mercy Chaplet. We just gave his soul to the mercy of God because he was still involved in, in the drug culture and, and those kind of things. And he went to get in a fight and the guy pulled out a gun and he shot him. Well, Stephen and I, that picture meant a lot to him because when he left our house, he had a, a small version of just the father hugging the, the uh, younger son and it's the only thing he has to take with him. So he knew God, he got confused. He left the embrace, but he knew God. And so we just, we just pray that the guy dropped him off at the ER that shot him because he was still alive. And then he passed away shortly after. That he had time to look at his life and return to God, to return to that embrace before he entered into eternity. There's hope. You know, one of the things we receive from living this is hope. The other, the other story, I guess I'll tell you about pain and affliction of spiritual fatherhood, is I said we had twin grandsons. And one of them, shortly before his third birthday, I got a call, they had rushed him to the hospital, I went to the hospital, my wife went to stay with the other kids, and he didn't make it. He died short of his third birthday. And I was there, and the first thing I did was say, I need to baptize him, because I want to claim this child for God before he leaves this earth as he begins his journey home. I can, I can remember there being no air to breathe. Like when a three-year-old dies, you know, it's like there was no air in the room. But little by little by little, it returns. God fills us up. He embraces us in our sorrow. He consoles us. And he reminds us of the hope that we're going to see each other again. And I can tell you that when I die, and eventually after many, many times in purgatory probably, I get to heaven that that little boy, nobody better be in his way because he's coming around all of them to get to Papa. And that's the hope that I have that one day that's going to happen. And I truly believe it. So it's a gift of affliction and pain, a gift of forgiveness. With Stephen, it was very hard. And Father Mark Toops, again, being a good spiritual director, it was very difficult. And he said, are you really mad at Stephen or are you mad at God? And he made me realize that, yeah, God, I did all of my part. I poured my whole life into this kid and you didn't change him. If we go back to the beginning where God never forces himself on anyone. But that relationship with God and Stephen and myself, it was there. And it brings me hope that at the end, he turned back to God and we'll see each other again in heaven. Waiting. The gift of waiting, how countercultural is that? Patiently waiting. One of the young men that wrote me, we would have those two-hour lunches. Okay, for him it was two hours. At time for me it was four because he would be two hours late. And I would sit in that restaurant by myself for two hours waiting for him to get there. And I thought about what the Father does with me every time I don't do what I'm supposed to. He sits there and he waits. So one of the gifts of spiritual fatherhood is waiting. Courage. 
We have to have courage when we're going to be a spiritual father. He is going to call us to do things that we may not be comfortable with. When Stephen was living with us, I had to go into neighborhoods or places, dark places that I never in my life thought I would ever go to in the middle of the night looking for him. You know, but when, when God calls you to spiritual fatherhood, he gives you the courage to do that. It's a gift. A gift. He's going to give you the courage to have tough conversations with your children, with your nieces, your nephews, your grandchildren. Um, not too long ago, we were sitting uh, with our grandkids, and we had a, a talk with them about sex. Here we are talking about sex in Dairy Queen. Not sex in Dairy Queen, but we were in Dairy Queen talking to them about sex. Having that tough, because nobody else is having it with them, we're like, okay, you know, this is what God expects of you. This is how you were created to reflect God, and it's what he calls you to. How many of you want to have those conversations with your grandkids? It's not, but you know what? At the end, my grandson looked at us after we spent an hour in Dairy Queen talking about sex. He went, good talk. And he had to be a 16-year-old, good talk. You know, so again, but the courage to do that is a gift of spiritual fatherhood. You have to be led by the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit's going to put something on your heart, you have to be willing to um, follow that, that, that call in your heart to go out and do it. I gave a talk to some confirmation kids once, and I had to explain to them what the Holy Spirit was like, and this is the best I could come up with, so I'll give it to you real quick. You know, like down the road, the, that uh, tire place, they got them little things that go like this? Well, I think that's the Holy Spirit. Because when you unplug, it goes, and it's flat. But you plug into that source, that power, that energy, the wind of the Holy Spirit, and man, he just takes you where he wants. And that's what happens if we stay plugged into the Holy Spirit. So next time you see one of those, and you're riding with someone in your car, it's your chance to evangelize. You say, look, the Holy Spirit. And they're going to go, what in the hell are you talking about? And you can explain to them what the Holy Spirit does in your life, because you, you just enter into it. So there was a, a young man at Covecrest when I was running, running one of the summer camp sessions. And I would work from 6 in the morning till midnight, six days a week. And, like, you, you just have so much going on. You have all these campers everywhere, all kind of things. And I'm leaving one activity, going to another. And I see this kid sitting on the side of the, the lake. And God says, you need to go talk to that kid. And I'm going, God, look at what I have left to do today. You got to be kidding me, you know. So I kept walking. Uh, I don't always listen to God. Uh, I kept walking, and he said, you need to go talk to that kid. Took my list. I put it in my pocket, and I went sit with the kid. And it was a young man, and he was writing in a journal. And I said, hey, what you writing? And he goes, oh, it's dark. You wouldn't want to read it. You know, it, it's, it's, it's okay. So then I just kept talking, you know, and we just, just talking to him in general. And I said, you know, so, so you like to write? He says, yeah, but it's kind of dark. He, he didn't want to be there. His parents sent him the whole bit, you know. I said, I really would like to read it. And he said, okay, and he gave it to me. And the title of it was The Death of Life. And it was very dark. And I, I read it, and I looked at him, and I said, you are an amazing writer. I looked right past what he had written, and I affirmed the gift that God had given him, which was to write. And the rest of that week, 
Every time I'd see him at lunch or anything else, I'd slide in, and we had a conversation, and he, he went through the rest of the week of the retreat at Covecrest, which are amazing, and he said, um, I asked him, I said, can you do me a favor? And he said, yeah, because by this time, he trusted me, you know, like I actually loved him where he was. And I said, can you go back and rewrite that thing you showed me? And can you write the life of death? In other words, when you're going to die to those things you came here with, I will bring you life. And he said, yep, I can do that. Again, trusting in God, I didn't have be creepy for an old man to be calling a little kid. So I, I didn't follow up, but I trusted that God would have worked in his heart. And the challenge he had was to continue that journey. Um, so being led by the Holy Spirit and then learning to invite your spiritual children into a relationship with Jesus. It's not enough just to have a relationship with them. You have to invite them into that relationship. Um, I had lunch with one of the young men just recently. And we were talking about how God pursues you all your life, you know, and he was telling me about a relationship he had with his, uh, he has a new girlfriend, but she doesn't go to church. She has a problem with church. She believes in God. You know, we're talking about all this stuff. Da, 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 da. I said, well, God is calling you to lead her deeper into a relationship with him. And his face just changed. He said, the other night we were sitting there eating and right before we ate, she looked at me and she said, do you want to say prayers? And he said, oh, no, no, no. And he goes, God was pursuing her through me and I didn't, I didn't even get it. You know, God will pursue you through all your relationships and all these other things. So we have to learn to invite. I, I learned this one from Father Michael. Um, when you go to, out to eat, there's a, there's a waiter or waitress that comes to your table, and you can actually have a conversation about God with them if you do it kind of halfway, you know, kind of work it in there. We, we were in Florida once, and this guy comes up, and we're, he, he says, hi, I'm Gabriel, you know, and he starts to da-da-da-da-da, and so we started asking, hey, well, you know, you're in college. Well, I'm getting ready to go to college, you know, whatever. So he came back a little later, and I said, man, do you realize that you are named after the angel who announced salvation to the world? He goes, I didn't. I said, you're pretty important. You know, so anyway, we had, this, we had these little conversations as he would come back. And when I was leaving and I got up to leave, he came up to me because he was going to leave that next week to go to college. He goes, I think I need to go buy a Bible. I said, amen, brother. I should have got his address. I should have mailed him one. But again, who does God, you know, want us to, to, to be a spiritual father to? The world. Whoever he puts in front of us. 20 years ago, I retired 20 years ago. I'm much, much older than I look. I, 20 years ago, and I told God, I am going to love whoever you put in front of me today. And I promise you, if you tell God that, every day he will put someone in front of you to love. Every day of your life, he will put someone in front of you to love, whether it's that waiter or waitress or some young person in your family, maybe your own kids. He's going to put them there. So, okay, I have five minutes left here, folks. Um, we're going to get through this. Okay, past the spiritual fatherhood. What's our prayer life look like? When I was on retreat, they have, you, you get to talk twice. You get to talk to a spiritual director for 30 minutes to an hour a day, and you get to go to Mass. So this priest gave this homily on prayer, and I thought it was great. He said, what if our prayer were unexpected, 
I am an accountant. Debits equal credits. Things balance. He said, what if they didn't? What if in our relationship and our conversation with God, they didn't? What if our prayer was unscripted? Look at Jonah, you know, and he didn't want to go to the Ninevites and do all he had to do. He ends up under this tree, getting his shade, you know, chilling. God kills the tree. He's out in the sun. He had a real conversation with God at that point. Okay, God, it's hot. You're burning me up. What's going on? Again, what if it was unscripted? That we actually told God what was on our heart. What if our prayer life was a lively exchange? God has a sense of humor. I know he does. I just look at my life every day and says, God has a sense of humor. So when I went to meet with my spiritual director, it was this older nun. So I messed with her a little bit. But anyway, I had written this the first night I was there. It said, you are my beloved son with whom I am mostly pleased. And she looked at me like that, like, that's not what you're supposed to be saying. I said, but that's true. You know, he's, uh, there's a few things I need to work on while I'm here. So he's probably mostly pleased with me. But God has a sense of humor. So it's okay to joke around with God. He can handle it, okay? Don't, don't, be, don't take yourself too serious. Um, are we willing to let God play with our hearts? And we need to find a quiet place to hear God's voice. They had a little kid. I was on a retreat one time, and he blew me away. He was in high school, and he said, yeah, he says, I, I work with horses. And so I'm in a stable every morning cleaning the horses' hooves. And he says, it's quiet. It's just me and the horses, and that's when I pray. Made me feel bad because I didn't even set aside that specific time for prayer every day. You know, so we have to find a time where we have quiet, where we can have those conversations with God to come to know what he calls us to. Last one is uh, leadership. C.S. Lewis said it. Um, he suggested that masculinity is the willingness to initiate. God is the great initiator. He initiated creation, redemption, and our salvation. In the same way, spiritual fathers initiate. This is especially important in spiritual things like family prayer, Bible study, church attendance, discussions about spiritual things. So what are you doing in your family, whether it's your kids, your kids, what are you doing to lead them in prayer? What are you doing to help them learn the Bible and what God has to say about it? What are you doing when you take your kids to church? Do they see you desiring to go and, hey, let's all get together and go? You know, and are you leading them in discussions about spiritual things? You know, like, how do you do that? How do you invite? And again, it's all about inviting. So my personal challenge to all the men present here today. Number one, find a spiritual father. I don't care what age you are. That spiritual father may look in, the, in the, the image of a small group that challenges you. It may be uh, a spiritual director. It may be in, in a silent retreat. It may, but find a spiritual father that's going to challenge you to move forward and to move deeper. For those of you who are older or maybe have kids, I don't know, I can't see everybody, but if there's real young people, okay, when you're in your teens, maybe your early 20s, you're probably not quite ready to be a spiritual father, work more on receiving at that point. But as you get older, you're called to be a spiritual father. So I would ask you, who has God put on your heart tonight when I was talking? Did you think about somebody? Maybe your own kid, maybe your grandkids, maybe a niece, a nephew, someone in your neighborhood, whoever it is, who has God put on your heart tonight? because you need to love whoever God puts in front of you today. For me, the hugest result of being a spiritual father is when I call my grandkids or I FaceTime my grandkids and I say hi and I hear, 
Hi, Papa. If they only knew, I'm not going to let them see this, if they only knew at that moment, they could probably ask for a car or whatever they wanted. Hi, Papa. Just, just the love in their voices because of the relationship we have. And it's not because we just are there, like it's the spiritual relationship that we've had. So I want to close with this. Um, Stephen, when he was alive, so this is his voice from the grave, I guess, wrote this and gave it to me one day. It said, it has been said that our fathers are made in the likeness of God. In my life, I hold this to be true. I am not certain as to where the road leads, but I am sure that there is no one I'd rather spend it with than the man that sits next to me. My guide, my protector, my friend and mentor, my father. I watch life dance in his eyes, and as I see the sun resting on his shoulders, and though no words are spoken, I hear him in my heart. As God lives in this man, so does he in me. When he gave me that, I just remember, like, wow. And all, all the first part I didn't even hear, but that last line just, as God lives in this man, so does he in me. If you allow God to embrace you and know your, how precious you are to him, when you love other people in that same way, they're going to see God in themselves. And that's what we're called to do as spiritual fathers, is to invite them into a relationship, into that embrace that will allow them to go through life and all the gifts we get through spiritual fatherhood. I'm going to invite the musicians to come back up. We're going to, going to enter into a little time of adoration in a few minutes. I want to share, though, I'm gonna, I, I didn't come here tonight to, to totally make you comfortable, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to get you to stretch a little bit. Uh, I'm not going to force you to do anything. We won't shine the spotlight on you if you don't. But I want you to know that when we, when we praise and worship God, the God that's up there in that host is the same God that died on the cross. It's the same God that rose from the dead. And we are called to take a posture of praise. Remember I said about a posture of a child? And so in scripture, I'm not making this stuff up, it says in Timothy, it is my wish then that every place the men shall offer prayers with blameless hands held aloft. Lift up your hands toward the sanctuary and bless the Lord. If God puts on your heart when you're praying tonight, it may be something as simple as opening your hands just to have a posture of God, I'm open to what you're asking of me. It may be that you want to lift your hands. I, I will be up here lifting my hands. Sorry, I just do that. But, but what I want to tell you is, what is that posture saying? It is saying the same thing as my three-year-old grandson when he was alive and would run and he would say, Papa, pick me up. So when I look at God in the eye up there and I raise my hands, I'm saying, God, pick me up. Heal me of anything I'm carrying into this Lent. Talk to my heart, but lift me up. So I'm inviting you to maybe be a little uncomfortable tonight. And when you do it, if, you don't want, if you're worried about what other people are thinking, close your eyes. You can't see them. They see you, but you can't see them, and it's okay. Because it's you and Jesus Christ. 
So what I'd ask you to do right now is to close your eyes for just a minute and listen to God's voice. Who is God putting on your heart tonight? Who is he putting on your heart to seek out as a spiritual father? Who is he putting on your heart tonight for you to reach out as a spiritual father?